So tonight, um, I wanted to give a a small introduction to the the problem of suffering, and I realize this is a, a very deep uh, problem, kind of philosophical, and I do realize most of you will be very young, so. I'll try and uh, water it down as much as possible. Um, but I think this is good to uh, realize and to study and to uh, uh, know about uh, when you're young. So you're not shocked. I mean, a lot of people keep being shocked by life and, and how difficult it is. Um, so uh, in Islam, uh, I mean, Islam is a very realistic religion. Uh, so you don't live in, uh, you know, in a dreamland. Uh, it talks about real issues. And one of the biggest issues in life is the problem of suffering and pain. Especially when you see it in young children. A lot of people ask, I mean, is this fair? How come it's me and no one else? <clears throat> At least... That is their perception. That's only happening to them. So what does Islam say about that? And is there an answer to all of this? So the first thing that we have to realize, the nature of this life. Because if you start with the wrong idea, the wrong perception about this life, then you're going to get the entire picture wrong. And you're going to have lots of questions as a result. I mean, for example, now some people think that this life is about the pursuit of happiness. And you see it a lot. I mean, this is now a, a goal, an objective to many people. Like, I'm pursuing happiness as if happiness is something you can get to, you can attain. Even when we read stories to children, we say at the end, and they lived happily ever after. What does that mean? I mean... We know this is not true. It's not even possible. Especially if they're talking about this life. There's no such a thing as you live happily ever after. As if there's a moment of time after which you become happy. It's like a switch. And this is not true. In the Quran, there are two places at least where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the nature of this life. The nature of this life. So in one ayah, and these are small surahs, some of you might know them. One of them is Surah Al-Balad. How many of you uh, know Surah Al-Balad? La Al-Balad. Very good, so some of you do. Uh, so uh, down a few ayat, you see the ayah that says, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدِ لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدِ Which means, we have created the human being in a state of kabad. And some words I want you I want you guys to learn and memorize. So kabad is one of them. It's a word that uh, that is not very known even to Arab people. You tell them what what, the, what is the meaning of kabad. Or they might misread it, they might say kabad, which is a liver. That's a totally different word. So what is kabad? Uh, it is not a common word in the modern Arabic. 
but it actually it has lots of meanings. Uh, so you can translate kabak as toiling, kabak, like you're laboring, you're working hard. So it has the meanings of hardship. It also has the meaning of pain and suffering. The kabbal al-alam, you say, like he's going through lots of pain. That's one of the meanings of kabak. It also means nasab, uh, which means tab, like uh, weariness, being tired, tired and exhausted. So these are some of the meanings of kabar. And it's all in this verse, small, very small verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us about the state of the human existence. And by the way, he does not mention animals. I mean, he doesn't say the animals. So it seems like humans will suffer even more. And we know that is true, uh, in one sense at least. I mean, psychologically, we suffer more than animals. Because we have this awareness, we have self-awareness. We're aware of our own mortality. The, the animals don't think about that. They don't think about when they're gonna die in 40 years. But we actually obsess about it. So we have some amount of suffering that other beings do not it seems that they do not feel or uh, experience. So this is a fundamental ayah tells us about our nature. Uh, the other ayah I wanted to mention uh, is also kind of similar. It's in Surah um, Al-Inshiqaq, I believe. It is Sama'u'l-Shaqaq, yes. Which you all know, I, I believe, right? Or some of you know. Surah Al-Inshiqaq, anyone? It's in Juz Amma, so if you memorize the Juz, you should know the Surah. And in there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Again, speaking to the human being, it says, O oh, human, you are, and here the, the different meanings, I'll mention the meaning that is relevant here. It says, Kadih. It means you are toiling, laboring, working, as we say today, grinding away. It's a grind, right? Striving. And it says, Striving in your life. It could also mean striving in your livelihood. You know, it's not easy. I mean, now, you know, in all, in all times, including now, uh, to make a living. And now we see like, Sometimes husband and wife working in order to bring bread to the table. And do the children appreciate that? Of course they do. Uh, but it is actually uh, one of the uh, you know, fundamental problems of life, the fact that you have to be toiling and laboring and on a regular basis, constantly. So he said, until you meet your Lord, so this is like a non-ending uh, form of uh, labor until you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means until you die. So these two ayat, and this is the other word. So the first word was kabal, which means hardship. It means weariness, pain, suffering. And the other one is kadaha. And kadaha is more about facing the, the pain and interacting with it. You see, Karih is someone who is hardworking. 
right? So that's the other word. And it sounds kind of similar, but they're not the same. Kabad and Kadah. So you see those two words. So Islam, Islam is a real religion. I mean, it's talking about a real problem. It, it does not beat around the bushes. It does not sugarcoat the problem. Like nowadays, we're always talking about self-esteem and feel good. And, but in reality, this is not true. We're, we're fooling ourselves. The reality of the matter is, life is hard. It, is, is, it has lots of suffering and pain. And now we're going to talk, inshallah, we're going to see it, at least the Islamic way of facing such a, an exist, existential problem. But before that, it's important to understand the different types of suffering. There's one suffering, one type, that is intrinsic to, intrinsic to our existence. It is intrinsic to our nature. Meaning it's part of our life. You cannot get away from it. You cannot get rid of it. I mean, the fact that we have pain, I mean, no one, uh, it doesn't matter how, you know, you could be pious all you want. You could be good or bad or evil. Every human being will feel pain. No one is uh, excused from it or, or spared from it. Sickness, we all get sick. No one can say, well, if I pray enough, I'll be, I'll be healthy the rest of my life. That does not exist. It's not part of this life. Um, so obviously death, I mean death is painful. And it's part of life. And it's part of suffering. Not to mention the uh, lesser forms of pain and suffering, like boredom, like you, you're bored. That also is painful in a way, when you're bored. Uh, or anxiety, like, uh, you know, being scared of something. That's also painful. So pain is not just like the pain that you have to take a medication for, that kind of pain. It, it could be any kind of suffering. Psychological suffering is included. So that is one type. And that's, like I said, this is part and parcel of our existence. You cannot separate that from our existence. There's another type which is unnecessary suffering. The suffering you bring onto yourself that you don't have to uh, suffer, that you don't have to go through. But because of something like a, a bad decision you made, a dumb decision. Some people make bad decisions, uh, you know, sometimes when you're young. And those bad decisions lead into unnecessary suffering. A suffering that you brought onto yourself and to others around you. For example, if you lie to yourself, or you lie to others, you refuse to live an honest life, uh, you might involve yourself in some form of, of trouble. Let's say somebody is doing drugs. Now he's brought onto himself or herself a form of suffering that was totally unnecessary. It didn't have to happen. You brought it to yourself. And for the rest of your life, in some cases, you have to deal with it. Likewise, if you have a, uh, a relationship that is not appropriate or before it's time, you might suffer for a long, long time. And it could be in different forms. Now we have all kinds of diseases. So you might say, well, everybody gets sick. So that's part of our existence. 
But if you do something that caused that sickness, then now you brought it onto yourself. So that is the second type, which is unnecessary. It didn't have to happen if you did not cause it. We call that malevolence also. So malevolent or malevolence is something that you intend, an evil you cause, you intend. There's a, a third type, you can think of it as a type, which is specific to you. And this is where people say, well, this is not fair. For example, some people might be born into a particular sickness. It was not your fault. Or not even that. You might be born, you think, into the different color or the different ethnicity. So you don't have enough privilege and you complain about that. And it brings some amount of suffering. At least perceived suffering. Or maybe you think you're not beautiful enough or not handsome or not popular. So all of these things, I mean, you might think that they're part of your suffering. That you suffer because of them. And they're, in one, one way or another, specific to you. Now, now, some of it is true. For example, some people have a low IQ. And because of that low IQ, they may not be able to get good jobs. Or they may have to be limited to certain types of jobs. And the question comes, well, I have nothing to do with it. And it's unfair. And they start complaining. So that's also one, one type where people feel unfair about how they are treated. And it doesn't have to be a mistreatment by a person. Some people blame God. Like, why am I like this? Why am I handicapped? And some people are, are handicapped one way or another. So, there are two ways to talk about this. One is, and this is maybe philosophical, and that's where we talk about the problem of suffering. So this one I'll summarize quickly, and then I'll talk more about the important issue of how to face it, because that's what is really important. This is what's relevant. But just so if anyone brings it up, let's see how we can tackle, how we can answer the, the, the question. So some people might say, if God is willing to stop evil, but He's not able, then He's not omnipotent. He's not Qadir. In, in, in the Islamic terms, we say Qadir, able, capable. So obviously this is not true in Islam. We say that Allah is capable. He is he's able to stop evil. He's able to stop all suffering. So that's not a question in Islam. It's very clear that in Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able and he's capable of everything. So he's able to stop the suffering. So that's not the issue then. The second one or the second uh, premise in that problem if he's able and not willing okay well here we say of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able is he willing well what kind of will and quickly I'll say that in this life Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
may allow, and he does allow certain type of suffering because it happens. The fact it happens, we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows it. And the question is then, why? And the answer is, because this life is not it. This life is only a test. Amari, you, you missed the, the, the biggest part of the, the, the most challenging part of the halqa. Okay. So the answer here is that we don't say that he, you know, uh, he is not willing, like he's not able. We say that he is able and he wills, what happens, he wills, but for a reason, for a wisdom. And the, the, the summary of that is, is that this life is only a test. If this life was eternal, then this, uh, this objection would be correct. But the fact that this life is so short, it's only a test, and this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would allow this to happen. Because there's a longer life, there's an eternal life, and that's what comes as far as being comfortable and, and no suffering and no hardship. Uh, again, I said it quickly, if you have any questions or you want me to repeat it later, I'll do that. But I want to go through it quickly in passing, uh, just in case it comes up. Of course, there's a third possibility. Some people say, well, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able and He's willing to stop it, but it doesn't stop, it means it comes from something else or someone else. Or, or what does it come from? But that's not, again, something we entertain in Islam because we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates everything. He creates good and evil. So we know everything happens. Uh, it happens with the uh, permission of Allah, but it happens for a reason. So why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows it to happen? Because there is a wisdom behind it. So I hope that is clear. Is it? Is it confusing? Yeah. No? I'm going to quiz you on it later. So if you tell me you understand it, you, you better be up to the challenge. So now the, the main thing is um, on all this, how do we, uh, how do we deal with, with the problem of suffering? What is, is there a solution to that? Um, I mean, yes and no. We cannot stop suffering, obviously. But how do we deal with it? And do, can we use it to our advantage? And that's what's really important here. Can we use it to our advantage? Number one, we have to understand that the main way to, to reduce suffering, so we cannot stop it, but we can reduce it. And that's really uh, the goal. And if you look at the message of Islam from beginning to end, it is to reduce it as much as possible. In this life and the hereafter. So sometimes people complain and say, well, Islam is hard, like, you know, we have to fast in the month of Ramadan. Who does that? There's no other religion who does it. But if you think about it, the fact that, you know, one of the benefits of fasting is that it makes you so resilient and so strong and able to, to uh, you know, face life and its hardships then you start appreciating this important pillar of Islam. Now, the main way to reduce suffering is through uh, accepting responsibility. And nowadays, we live in a culture where this is almost absent. I mean, everybody now is talking about rights, 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 but no much talk about 
responsibility. So if you look in the Quran, one important thing uh, you see in the Quran is the concept of amana and the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, you know, provided or He proposed this trust to many different creatures and only the human being accepted it. And this is actually responsibility. Um, so somebody said they're watching from the coast of Honduras. We're getting uh, uh, international attention here. Okay. Uh, so there is a, a, a actually a verse in the Quran uh, that talks about this important the fact that it is only the human being who is endowed with this responsibility. In the old days, uh, people when they were very young, like you were ten, you know, twelve, you would get a lot of responsibilities in the house. You would go and work in the field. You get actual responsibilities, and people who are very young were able to raise families in some cases, like. For example, in some cases, the father is, is away or absent or, or, or dead even. And you have like very young children taking responsibility from a very young age. And you still find it uh, sometimes. But the problem is, now, I mean, the vast majority of people do not learn even the meaning of responsibility until very old. Until, until, until they're stuck with their own family and they don't know what to do and then they learn it. And the, you know, the children, their children are the guinea pigs. They, they experiment with their children. This verse actually a lot of people overlook. It says, So there was this uh, trust that was proposed on the heavens and earth and the mountains. And all of them refused to carry it. And they were scared from it and the human being accepted that responsibility. So the, this is like one of the most important things in life. The fact that you have something to, like you have a responsibility to take. There is a load you have to carry. And if you don't carry it, you're not gonna be strong. And you're not gonna be resilient. And you're gonna stay weak the rest of your life. And I tell you, there are people who are 30, 40 even. And in, they have no idea what a responsibility is. They have no idea. They don't know how to uh, uphold a responsibility. Even a small task they cannot do. And they fail. So it's good to train yourself when you're young. Even if, like your parents don't give you any chores, ask for one. I know I sound very odd when I say that. But it's good for you. It's not, I mean, it's not even for your parents. It's for you. It's good for you. When you train yourself to take a responsibility, a small task, a small chore, and do it, and do it right, next time you do something bigger, and it makes you grow. In fact, this is what makes you grow. Some people measure growth by age, like I'm 18 years old. That's the main thing. You can have people who are 30 years old or 40 years old, and they're acting like children. Literally, they, they are... Uh, you know, uh, they are children in uh, you know uh, adult appearance or clothing. And the Prophet ﷺ made it very clear. He said, "Kullukum ra'in wa kullukum masulun 
He said, each and every one of you. He was not, he was not just talking to old people. I mean, uh, Usama bin Zayd was what? He was very young, he was 17. And he was the head of an army. Could you imagine the amount of responsibilities? Being like the leader of an entire army? Like everybody's uh, life, everybody's soul is in your hand. You make the wrong decision, you make the wrong mistake. Everybody ends up dead. On your watch. That is responsibility. Taking the trash out of the house is a very, very small chore, comparatively speaking, right? So, um, the Prophet said, each and every one of you is responsible. Each and every one of you is a leader. Ra'in, some people translate Ra' as like a shepherd. Well, you are fine, I mean, you want to translate Ra'in, I mean, the literal translation of Ra'in or Ra'i is a shepherd. But again, even when you look at the, uh, at the role of a shepherd, what do they do? They are responsible for a herd. So they do have a responsibility. But here the Prophet is saying, each and every one of you is a leader. You are a leader in your own right. Because you are responsible for something. That's what leadership is about. It, it is not about position. Some people think, oh, a leader, you know, I have a title. I am the emir of, of this region. Uh, I am the chairman of this uh, you know, masjid. Uh, I am the, you know, the school president. These are titles. It does not make you a leader. And you know, the Prophet said it, He explained what it means. He said, and every one of you is responsible. So he linked responsibility with leadership. That's what it means. Each and every one of you is responsible for some people. You are responsible. I mean, even when you are, uh, let's say you, let's say you are a leader. You know, some people look up to you. Like at, in school, for example, some people might look look up to you. They think of you as a role model. So you are responsible for them. If you make, uh, you know, if you make a mistake on purpose, and, and people follow your example. Now you've, uh, you, you know, you've misled them. You have misled them. So this is a responsibility. One way to tackle this issue of uh, hardships in life and suffering and pain is to decompose your problem. A lot of times the reason we cannot face the problem is because it's too big for us to face. Last weekend, I was doing a parenting seminar, for some reason, and um, one, of the, one of the parents uh, asked me, he said, I have a problem every time we try and go somewhere, uh, my child takes forever to get ready. I don't know if any parents want to raise their hands, but it seems to be a common problem. Like one hour to get ready, like what are you doing? Long time. So I, I, my response was, maybe, and this is especially true for young children. Maybe this is for them. I mean, for you because you're you're older, it seems to be a trivial task. I mean, what does it take to get ready to go outside? It's nothing. Just do a few things and you'll be ready. So I told him maybe for him because he's too young. Maybe this is uh, like a big task that he cannot comprehend even. So you need to break it down 
You need to decompose it. Tell them, I mean, you have to tell them what it takes to get ready. I mean, this is so common, like, uh, for example, you go to one of your kids' rooms, and it's a mess, and you tell them, clean it up, take care of it. You come after an hour, still the same thing. And you get angry and upset and all of that. But actually, there's a way to solve this. Again, a lot of times, uh, you know, the child is facing what he thinks is like an impossible task. So what you do is, you go and tell him, see this toy on the floor? Pick it up and put it on the shelf. And this is part of, uh, part of cleaning the room. So now he, he, he starts associating that small act with this humongous, impossible act of cleaning the room. Like, so dreadful, right? And you go, you go it like that. You go about it like that. You take it one step at a time. Like, you look at the bed, you know, it's amazing. You tell him, you know, fix it up. Make it up. At what age do you start this? It could be as, as young as possible. What about that? Anything they can do on their own, even if they're two or three, they should start doing. I know for some of us it's too late, but whoever still got a chance, if they can do it at three, why do you want to wait until they're six? But it's really important to start very, very small. Actually, there's a very interesting ayah in the Quran that gives us that hint. So we know the ayah again in Surah Al-Zalzala, where Allah says, So what is the message in this ayah? We read it all the time. Allah says, if you, if you do a small, small, small act of good, you will see good. And if you do a small, small, and I, I keep saying small, I mean, some people say an end amount of good or a, an atom amount of good. Dharra, it means something very small. But the point here is that sometimes people say, well, if the, if the act is not big enough, then it's not good enough. And this ayah is telling you, no, not true. It could be very small and still good. In fact, it could be an atom amount or an end amount of good, and it is good. You know, this is one of the major reasons why people don't do good actions. Because they say, what difference does it make? Just a small act, who cares? It won't make a difference. Look at all the evil around you, are you kidding me? This ayah refutes all of that. It says like, a small, small, small amount of good will make a difference. It will make a dent, if you will, in the world. This is how things work. Same for evil, by the way. It says, the second ayah, Same people, some people say, well, it's just a small evil. No one is hurt. How do you know? Maybe somebody saw you and he'll do the same thing. See, I, I'm just hurting myself. I'm not hurting anyone else. Wrong. So this ayah is important because it tells us that if you have a problem that is too hard or too big, break it down to small steps, and even those small steps uh, you know, will lead to something good. Even a small amount of good will bring good to your life. So do not underestimate any good. Okay.
Maybe the last thing I will mention uh, here is that, and this is really important in how we face suffering and, and evil in general. And this is, I think, a concept that is so repeated in Islam that I'm surprised sometimes, you know, people don't know about. And that is the fact that when you face your problems voluntarily, because some people try and run away from hardships and problems. And guess what? You cannot. It will follow you. The fact that you live, the fact that you exist, means that you're going to have to face hardships and suffering and pain, etc. But if you're willing to face it voluntarily, it will transcend you. You will grow. You become stronger. You become more honorable. And this is, I think, one of the most important objectives in Islam. And I have tons and tons of ayat and hadith about that. For example, the Prophet told us, If Allah loves certain people, He will try them, He will test them. And, and some people do, do the opposite. They, they say, well, I'm being tested. Allah does not love me. That is the wrong conclusion. The right conclusion is, in fact, it is an indication of, of Allah's love. So the Prophet said, if Allah loves certain people, He will try them. But look, If you accept it, that's what I'm talking about, to, to take it on voluntarily, to accept it, then you will receive what you want. You get the rida from Allah, you get the contentment and the fulfillment from Allah. And if you're angry and upset, as most people, then this is all you're going to get. Your situation will not improve. Uh, a different hadith, Allah, uh, the Prophet said, The most tested people are the Prophets, and then the people like them, and then the people like them. What does that tell us? It tells us that there is a room for growth. We're not prophets, we cannot be prophets. But we can be similar, we can be close. I mean, we're not going to be, you know, uh, like the prophets, but we can get close <coughs> to uh, these people. And that says that you are not who you can be. There's, uh, you, you know, there's a lot more to you. You are more than you think you are. Are you still awake? Okay, I think this is, this is good enough. I hope you got the, the point. Uh, I mean, I have other points, but and like I said, as far as the problem of evil itself or problem of suffering, I, I walked through it quickly. If you have any questions, we can also tackle that. Yes. The ones I just said were actually not from Quran, they were from Hadith, which is the saying of the Prophet. No, before, before that. Uh, I mentioned in, the, in my talk, I mentioned three ayat, three verses. The first one was Surah uh, Al-Balad. La uqsibu bihad al-Balad. Yeah, okay, good. And the second one is from Surah Al-Inshiqaq, Ida Sama'un Shaqqat. Good job. 
The last one is from Surah Al-Ahzab. It's a long surah. I don't know if you know it. It's the very end of the surah. It says, I'm really proud of these questions. I mean, it's good that you... Because these are principles. Like I said last time, a lot of time we, we study about Islam and we learn about all the details and stuff, but there's certain principles that you live by. And this is one of them. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of Muslims, you hear a lot of Muslims complain all the time. Oh God, why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? So it's important that we uh, learn these principles. Any other questions? Sure. Okay. Um, what was the last ayah that you said that I will explain what surah is? I think I know. I, think I know the surah, but I don't know what surah is. Uh, tell me what surah. I don't know the surah's name, but I know it. Oh yeah, you're right. The last one we mentioned was actually from Surah Zalzala. Thank you. Yes. And we mentioned the last two verses. You know, so one reason we memorize the Quran is not just to we memorize it and we, you know, we repeat and repeat. It's because also we want at least at one point to understand it. And you may not be able to understand all of it, but if you know certain uh, verses and know their meanings and live by those meanings, you know, some of the Sahaba, some of the Sahaba used to take a long time memorizing surahs. Like Ibn Umar, it took him like over 10 years to memorize Surah Al-Baqarah. Now you give Surah Al-Baqarah to a kid, they memorize it maybe, I don't know, a few months. But because the memorization of Ibn Umar was serious, like he would memorize and understand and act. So these people were taking Quran seriously. And a lot of people now memorize and they don't, even when they get older, they don't even try to understand anything. So it becomes like, uh, you know, uh, like a ta'weev, you say, right? Like, I, 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 I you know, uh, I will say this ayah to protect me from this shaitan, or from this evil, or from this jinn. And, you know, we see this a lot these days. I mean, Muslims are so concerned with the evil eye, and the sihr done here, and the magic done on me. But we're not really interacting with the Qur'an anymore. We use the Qur'an just like a talisman, like uh, an incantation, something we say to protect us, and that's it. I mean, don't get me wrong, you can use the Qur'an to protect yourself, fine. But that's not the main purpose of the Qur'an. Okay, any questions? Yes. So the question is, if I can expand on the verse uh, in Surah Al-Ahzab, and uh, this might require an entire halqa uh, if we really want to give it justice, but quickly, uh, the two parts the brother is asking about, the first one is about, I believe, 
like the meaning of the amana, what it means, and the second part is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the end of the ayah mentioned that the human being has these two attributes, these two attributes, ghaluman jahula. So the first, uh, amana, I mean the scholars have talked about this, and don't tell me, I hope uh, this didn't, didn't make a difference, but I think some people complain sometimes that I'm wrong. Uh, so some scholars have said amana here is the, the trust to deliver the message. So in this case would be the message of Islam. But I think this is only part of it. I think the larger uh, aspect of amana is to live properly, is to take your responsibility and to live up to that responsibility. And if everybody, because nowadays what happens usually, we always blame the people in charge. Now we go blame the people in charge of the masjid or in charge of the country. What happens in fact, and, and this was done even by like psychologists, they say that if you look at it carefully, each and every one of us is contributing to the problem. If there's a problem in a society, for example, it's easy to blame someone else. Now, of course, the people in charge would share more of their responsibility, yes. But in essence, if you don't do anything, if you stand still, I mean, if you're just watching, I mean, a lot of people, they do that. All, all they do is just like observe. They're like passive observers. You are contributing to the problem. So to uphold that responsibility and to take it upon your shoulders to improve yourself, to improve the people around you, to improve the situation around you, that is part of amana. To make it, to make the suffering less, <laughs> that's part of amana. Uh, to live according to what Allah you know, wants you, that's part of amana. Uh, now, as far as the nature, this is true. So you see in the Quran, in several places, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the default status, or the, uh, like the, uh, the human nature, before it is modified or improved by something like Islam. For example, he tells us in the Quran, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ خُلِقَ هَلُوعًا so, a lot of times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts with the, the default mode. Everybody is like that. Every human being. This is our nature. And this is why we have to improve. So in this ayah it says, He was extreme in his oppression, extreme in his ignorance. But it doesn't mean you cannot improve. In fact, this is exactly our homework. This is part of the amana. Because other beings, like the animal is ignorant, but they cannot change it. It's like imprinted in their genes, they cannot change it. We can. Our oppression is, yes, it's intrinsic. We are oppressive by nature, but we can change that. So you would, you would, you would say, uh, you know, this is part of the amana to, to make that improvement. Because it's within our capacity. Yes. Um, are we really oppressed with nature? I always saw it as like people are individualistic and they care more about their needs and the needs of their immediate family over other people. Mm -hmm. The way to solve that is to you know give them reasons to uh, value the needs of others as well. Is it, is it that we're just um, bad or something? Or what? what do you think? 
um, let me make sure I understand the question. You, you, you understood from me that I said that we are passive in nature? So I was, I, I, you said like we can't, we're um, for ourselves, you kind of said that we're against people, and that kind of is that even passive, or am I... Well, what I said in this particular verse, it says that we are oppressive in nature. So we are, we, we transgress against others, and I said this is a default mode, if you don't put any effort. So some people say, well, we're, by default, we're, we're good, or people are good, like angels. And they're surprised when they see somebody doing evil. But I think if you read the Quran, it actually is very realistic. It tells us that by default, no, people have problems. We have lots of problems. And if you don't work on them, you could stay like that. So you could say that, when I say by nature, it means that if you don't work on yourself, if you don't try and improve yourself, yeah, you, you by nature could cause injustice to others. So justice requires work. Injustice, a lot of times, does not require work. I mean, look now, everybody is re resorting to the identity politics, right? That is in human nature, to identify with your group. It doesn't take a lot of effort, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, mujahada. But to step out of that and say, you know, uh, no, I don't, even if I'm white or brown, that doesn't make a difference, I still stand for justice. That takes effort. So I think it's uh, self-evident. But I don't know if, if that's your objection. No, I see your point. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay, anything else? Good questions. Anybody else? All right, that means this segment is over. Now we can move to the quiz. All right? So we'll finish the recording and then... We'll start the quiz.